Thank you, worship team, for uh, pointing us to the cross, pointing us to Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles with you today or if you want to follow along, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, specifically verses 6 through 8 with the text that we're going to use. I've entitled the message, Keep the Feast. And I think you'll understand that as we go along and we get to things here. We'll find three R's today that lead us to the resurrection again, lead us to Jesus Christ risen and living among us. Now, I do bring you greetings from Canal Winchester, Peace Lutheran and Canal Winchester. That's where I was last week, and it was a blessing to be over in Ohio and to be sharing God's word over there, but it's always good to get back home <laughs> and be back in Minnesota and to be able to share God's word. I was reminded of a story when I was there of a pastor who got a little upset with one of his deacons one time because his deacon kept falling asleep every Sunday at church. And he thought to himself, I've got to do something about this. So one Sunday he had a great idea as he was up preaching. He saw him fall asleep again. And so what he did was he uh, whispered to the congregation. He said, everybody who wants to go to heaven, please stand. And everybody stood up except for the deacon that was sleeping. Now, I wonder about the deacon's wife. She didn't wake him up. But he got everybody seated again quietly. And then he said, everybody wants to go to hell, he whispered. And then he yelled at the top of his lungs. I won't do it into the mic, but please stand. And that deacon shot right up. He looked around. He said, Pastor, I don't know what we're voting on, but it looks like only you and I are in favor of it, he said. (laughs) Now, that taught me something. Um, If you fall asleep, don't worry. (laughs) But it also taught me that I'm not going to take things into my own hands with regards to things. And as we look at Scripture, sometimes as a pastor, you don't want to cover certain portions of Scripture because they are tough to cover. (laughs) And they hit you right between the eyes, as God's Word so often does. And this is a portion of Scripture that talks about the Corinthian church here as Paul writes to them. And it deals with the situation at the church in Corinth that's a moral issue. And it's regarding sexual immorality between a man in the congregation, a member of the church, and his father's wife. And apparently this had been going on for some time and was common knowledge in the church. And Paul will relate to them that they need, that this man needs to be put out of the church in order that his soul in order that his soul may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you and I know what happens if we let sin go. It leads us away from the Lord God and will continue to keep us separated from him. And as we look at this portion of Scripture, we could go in a number of different directions, so to speak, and do different things. But one of the neat things that Paul does is he takes them to the cross. And to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And tries to remind them of what they need to do. (laughs) So let's take a look at the text here. Look at it with me if you would and follow along. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. We could read farther but I'm just going to do 1 through 8. And we're going to focus on 6 through 8 today. But it starts out there. It says it is actually reported there's sexual immorality among you. And of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. 
Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. (laughs) Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. In verse 2 of the text, it says these words, And you are proud. You are proud. Their pride was getting in the way. Their pride in themselves would not go to this situation that needed to be handled. And then when we go down to verse 6, it says that your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? That word boasting in the text there is not the act, but it's the subject It was the condition of the church. It was the condition of their hearts as they were looking past this sin. In James chapter 4, verses 15 through 17, it says, Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do, And doesn't do it. It's a sin for them. In our catechisms and in as we study scripture, we call it the sin of omission. Not doing what we ought to do. And as you see here, they were boasting instead of what they were doing. And as Micah mentioned in Galatians 6.14, it says, May I never boast except in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. (laughs) Let's take the first R here today, and we're going to call this R the result that happens here. The result of sin and what it does. It says there in verse 6, Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, (laughs) the whole batch of dough? And it's obvious here that he's referring to more than bread. Just ask the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 16, verses 6 through 12. It says that Jesus said to them, watch out and beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he goes into a whole bunch of things that they're doing. And he says in verse 12, he says, then they understand that he didn't tell them to beware of the yeast and bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that was permeating their teaching. And they were getting caught in doing these legalistic things to try and be good enough for God. You should ask the confirmation class of what we looked at today. There's all these laws 
that the Jews had people follow. They made man-made laws. It was interpretations by the rabbis. Did any of you have eggs this morning for breakfast? If you had eggs for breakfast, somebody went out and picked the egg from the chicken on the Sabbath, it would be breaking the law because you made the chicken do work on the Sabbath. That is literally in those laws. That's just a small example of the things that they were doing. And it was the yeast that was, it was the sin that was permeating scripture and it became all about what you could do to try and be good enough for God. That yeast, that leaven drew attention then to the way in which an influence works and it infiltrates the whole thing until it's all affected for good or for evil. And in this case, it was for evil. Sin was overlooked and it would begin to permeate the entire church or the entire person. If we honestly look at ourselves, we know that's true with sin. There's a story about Sally. For eight years, Sally had been the Romero Romero family pet. When they got her, she was only a foot long. And you can see the picture there. Sally grew eventually, though, until she reached 11 and a half feet long and weighed 80 pounds. <laughs> on July 20th of 1993, Sally, a Burmese python, turned on 15-year-old Derek, strangling the teenager until he died of suffocation. The Associated Press quoted the police as saying that the snake was quite aggressive, hissing and reacting when they arrived to investigate. (laughs) But Sally was also cute when she was a foot long. In James, it talks about what sin can do. It grows In James chapter 1, verse 15, it says that it starts out as desire or lust. And after lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. I've always appreciated learning that when I was younger. And if you notice, LSD. (laughs) If you know what LSD is, it's a drug that can be taken and creates psychedelic things crazy-wise, but sometimes it's taken, it does nothing to a person, and all of a sudden it hits them years later. They may never have taken another drop of it. But the progression of what happens, and this isn't only applicable to the church at Corinth, but it's applicable for us today, of course, as a church of God on earth. And yes, also to me and you individually. We are forewarned of what sin, no matter how small we think it is, will do. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 9, it says that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And then if you jump to verse 13, it says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, a verse that many know well, it gives us, gives us that final result of what sin does. The wages of sin is death. It separates us from God. 
Well, that's, that's the result of what is going on here and what can happen. But if we go to the second R, we can look at what the requirement is here. What's needed to be done with this yeast or this sin? I'm reminded of the story of a little boy who was in his church. It was a little Swedish Methodist church. And uh, he was sitting in the back with his friends. His parents were sitting up front. And uh, this little boy had ADHD. And so, and you know how it is. Pastors tend to ask um, rhetorical questions, right? It's kind of fun when you ask one and a kid answers, because that's the only ones who usually will answer a rhetorical question. Well, this pastor in this church who was up front, and he came to a question in his sermon, and the little guy is in the back wondering who's going to help him. And the question that he asked was, what should we do with sin? And that little guy in the back is like, nobody's answering him. And so he's back there waving his arms and going, I don't know. I don't know. He didn't dare speak out loud because in that church that would be a little bit interesting. Kind of like us. If somebody did that, that might make us go a little crazy. But So you know how pastors are. He repeated it later on. What should we do with sin? And of course, this time he's like, he's looking around and Nobody's doing it. So he stood up on the chair and he said, they don't know. He whispered. I mean, he didn't, whi- he didn't say it out loud. He just mouthed it. They don't know. I don't know. You don't know. He made up his mind. He made up his mind that if he asked it again, he's going to have to answer out loud. Nobody's doing anything. And sure enough, the pastor did it again. What should we do with sin? What should we do with sin? He got really loud. And so he had enough. He finally said, I'm going to answer him. So he decided to use the voice of Barney Fife. And he said, nip it in the bud, he stood up. Nip it now. And the whole church just went crazy, charismatic, you know, so to speak. And he said, I I ended up sitting by my parents. I don't know how I got there, he said, but with things that way. But did you catch what he said? How kids sometimes have that correct answer. What should we do with sin? We should nip it in the bud. And that's what Paul says here. He says, get rid of it. Purge it. Clean it out. And the sense of the word that's used here for that word cleansing is we get our word cauterizing, wounds wounds from that word. It's a sense of making a wound not get an infection anymore so it won't spread. Get rid of the old leaven. That which is left over from the old way of life. That's the way to restore fellowship in the church. And most importantly, it's the only way to restore our fellowship with God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to repent of your sin and to accept what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. The greatest, the great prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, used to tell a story of a duke who boarded a galley ship and went below to talk with the criminals manning the oars. And he would ask several of them what their offenses were. 
why they were stuck down there in this prison ship and had to be on the oars. Um, almost every man that he asked claimed to be innocent, blaming someone else or accusing the judge of taking a bribe. One young fellow, however, replied to the duke. He said, sir, I deserve to be here. I stole some money. No one is at fault but me. I am guilty, he told the duke. Upon hearing that, you know what the duke did? He shouted. He said, you scoundrel, you. What are you doing here with all these honest men? Get out of their company at once. And the duke ordered that that prisoner be released and he was set free. While the rest were left to tug at the oars, the key to that prisoner's freedom was the admission of his guilt. In verse 5 it says, it needed to be done so that sinful nature could be destroyed, could be gotten rid of. God's law shows us our sin and it needs to kill us, not merely slap us in the face for our sin, but it needs to kill us so we can be pointed to Jesus. And that's what Paul is doing here. And he's pointing them because we can read about what it says in verse 6. It says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been slain. Some say that this must have been written then near the time uh, the time of year that would, that would have been fresh in Paul's mind. I don't know that it would have had to have been written near that time of the Passover because I think that should be on our minds probably at all times. In the Easter season, in the Lenten season at the end, we have that time of Passover, the Passover meal, and we're reminded of Good Friday and what Jesus Christ did for us. Have you ever gone to a Seder meal that the Jewish thing have done if you've ever done that part of the Passover meal and part of what is to be done is they take a feather out and a spoon and they um well first of all just a reminder of the Passover you know the Passover is when when the blood was put over the doorposts and the angel of death went over those that had the blood of the lamb Of course, it was pointing to Jesus who one day would be the Passover lamb. But one of the things they do in their their feast is they they have the kids go about with a feather and they try to get all the yeast out. And they eventually get rid of it. They take and put it in a spoon and they do all these things to be reminded that sin needs to be out of the house. (laughs) And when they do the Passover and they commemorate God's deliverance of the people, they slaughter that perfect lamb. They put that blood there. And the connection of the lamb with Paul's admonition is implied here. And it's evident and it's clear that the Passover lamb slain and the Passover feast thus begun, that the leaven needs to be out of the house. we don't remove that leaven, if we don't trust in what Christ has done on the cross for us, our sin keeps us separate from God. 
We know Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the Passover lamb. John 1.29, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Genesis 22.8, you remember Abraham taking his son Isaac up? And Isaac is wondering, where's the lamb? In Abraham's words there were, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Every bit of this points to our lamb, the lamb. And when you did the meaning to the second article of the creed today, a big part of that second article of the creed quotes 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But it was with the blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. I know I did the first part of Romans 6.23 earlier, but it's always good to get to that second part of Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are we as a church, are we as individuals, Are we a new batch without the leaven? (laughs) Have you and I repented of our sin and received with open hands that free gift of redemption? Years ago in Northern Ireland, there was an alcoholic who cried out to Christ in desperation. He asked the Lord to save his soul from sin and to rescue him from his addiction. He became a Christian and by the power of Christ... He eventually stopped drinking. And his old friends at the pub dismissed his conversion as a passing phase. They said, give him a month. He'll be back on the bottle. But a month went by and he hadn't touched a drop. So they tried to mock him out of his new faith. Do you believe that part of the Bible where Jesus turned the water and the wine, they said to him? He said, indeed I do. They said, would you ask him to do that for us? It would be nice of him to oblige us. Or do you think that was just something made up about him to get the likes of you converted? And the man responded, he said to them, I do believe Jesus turned water into wine. In fact, he did better than that for me. He turned liquor into furniture and food. Just ask my family. If we want to change in our lives, Christ can be, he's the only one who can bring about that radical change of heart and transform us. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and all things have become new. Verse 8 gives us the response to all this. As God has fulfilled the requirement for us. As we sang, His mercy is more. Here's the response in verse 8. Paul says, Let us therefore celebrate the festival. Let's keep the feast. Not with the old leaven the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
not with the old leaven, the positive end with the leaven of the bread of sincerity and truth. Do you realize that every Sunday is Easter Sunday? It's why we worship on the first day of the week. Confirmation kids, we were just talking about it, right? I asked them the question. They were all kind of looking at me. (laughs) But we celebrate on the first day of the week as a commemoration to remember that Jesus rose on that first day. And as it says here, to celebrate the Passover, to celebrate that feast, it's pointing us to that fact that Jesus would rise again. His blood pays the price. It points us to the resurrection. It points to that which gives us eternal life. We read it there in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. (laughs) We read those wonderful words that we can encourage all one another all the more as we see that day coming. Because the Lord will descend from heaven with that cry and that command. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And if we're blessed to be alive at the time Christ comes, we will meet the Lord in the air, it says. And so we will be with the Lord. <laughs> and those words from 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 56, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to celebrate today in sincerity and truth of what Christ has done for us. We need to deal with that sin because he's dealt he's dealt with it for us. And we can trust in his blood. We've looked at the result of what sin can do. We've looked at the request that it needs to be nipped in the bud. We look at the response to celebrate. (laughs) To celebrate once again on this Sunday. And the response of our lives is to live then in that victory of Easter. Because the ground at the foot of the cross is level and it's there for everyone who will come. Every generation of God's people lives between memory and hope. Between remembrance of what God has done in times past and in anticipation of what he will do in times to come. I'd like to close with this verse and I pray that you and I can say it today with our our lives. As Paul said it so many years ago. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote it so that we can read it today. We know the results of sin. We know the requirement. And we know the redemption that Christ can bring. And we know the response that we can have to live out our lives and to let the Holy Spirit set us apart, sanctify us to live that out. As he continues to work in us 
as we remember and as we live in what Jesus Christ has done. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. May you go forward in that victory today. In what Christ has done. Celebrate. Keep the feast. Lord God, thank you for your word. And Lord, forgive me for getting in the way at times today, but to, Lord, help me to remember and to live in that as well. To know your truth. To deal with those things that are there. And to trust in what you did. And that your blood has paid that price for me. Lord, I pray these things in your name. And I pray that we can encourage one another all the more in this as we see the day approaching. May we be ready for that day. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen.